Hello and welcome to the Raven Football Podcast. I'm Sam Brenton and as usual I'm joined by Matt Potter. Good evening. And Samuel Dennis. Evening boys. How are you doing? Are you okay? Yeah, very well, thank you. You all right? Yeah, not too bad. So today it's the second episode of our Football Cities of the World series, or should we say Soccer Cities of the World, because the city we're looking at this week is Los Angeles. Now on the surface this is a strange choice because the US isn't massively resound for its football, but actually if you look at it, this is... They actually have quite a bit of a football heritage. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to doing this one. Um, Pick behind the curtain. I actually wanted to do this as our first ever city. Like this was, this is like sort of what inspired the idea for me. Watching a bit of MLS like based stuff, I was thinking actually be good to talk about football all over the world and sort of what inspired this series. And yeah, there's actually a lot more to football in America as a whole and obviously in LA specifically that um, than you'd actually imagine so yeah we're looking forward to going into a bit further depth on this. Would it be fair to say that football is bigger in LA than it is in other cities in America? I'm not an expert on it but I know it's quite big in like Seattle things like that as well but it's definitely big in LA and compared to other cities. It is yeah like I think the sort of the um, Hispanic population in LA makes it a very popular sport obviously. We've yeah absolutely to- absolutely. Like obviously, um, so it does help. Obviously, LA is quite a uh, quite a sporting city as well. Like all the sports teams are really like heavily supported. The football teams, the soccer teams, as you will, because we obviously there are two football teams as well. Um, are actually like, yeah. We'll, call, we'll 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 say that we'll, we'll just we'll call soccer yeah. football. And then if we need to refer to something that's for American football, we'll call it NFL. In the American football teams, like one of them, the LA Chargers aren't actually that well supported at all because they're not really from LA. The two, um, the two football teams are actually quite well supported compared to like other sporting franchises in the city. I think we're going to see something similar with that in Miami. Obviously, you mentioned the Hispanic community, but you have that obviously down in Miami as well, and the well represented. Um, sports teams in all different sports so I think there could also be for the new Inter Miami be quite an interest there as well Yeah I do think as a general rule like the sport is growing in the States pretty rapidly um, Like the MLS is a lot more watched and like respected than it was when it first sort of started to garner a bit more uh, attention and you know, players have started moving over there you know, a bit closer to their primes and like it's not seen as just as a retirement league as such anymore yeah, so moving on to LA specifically. So yeah, LA is uh, the second most popular city in all of the United States. Yeah, home to Hollywood, you know, famous actors, famous people, lots of sports teams, as we've obviously alluded to. It is currently home to two professional football teams, the LA Galaxy, which obviously be around a bit longer, has been around since 1996, and uh, Los Angeles Football Club, who are more recently formed uh, in 2018, uh, coming from sort of sort from the ashes of Chivas USA. Um, they're not, there's not a direct link, but uh, they did replace one another. But starting off, we're going to go back through some of the more historical teams from the city. Yeah, as is quite common with a lot of American sports, teams pop up for a bit and then go defunct. And then you will probably play. So it's not like in Europe where sort of teams have history that goes back for over 100 years or more. So what you'll see a lot of is teams that have been around for like 10 years and then maybe disappeared again. But there are still football teams in LA date, which date back to you know, as early as the 1950s. Yeah, absolutely. And um, what we wanted to do is just sort of go through some of the historic teams from LA, concentrate on a couple of the other the most successful teams, um, and then obviously get on to the 
modern teams as we go into a bit further depth on those. First major club from the city would have been the Los Angeles Kickers. They were formed all the way back in 1951. They have the best suffix, I think, of any team ever. The Los Angeles Kickers. Very little. I mean, it says what it needs to, doesn't it? You know, they've... Uh... That'd be great. Imagine we had that over here, the Manchester Kickers. So they do kick. If you if you're trying to form a new team and trying to like get attention to it, at least it stands out really. No, you have to say maybe if teams could have it for a sort of traits that they're known for. So you'd have like the the Barcelona passers or the Stoke tacklers. Very good. Yeah, I like that. I've got a little bit on the LA Kickers. They don't have a long uh, history because they did sort of eventually just go into being a amateur club. They are still around now as. Uh, Los Angeles Soccer Club. Um, in the 50s, they did win a couple of National Challenge Cups. Obviously, this is sort of like the main US Cup at the moment. They won a couple of those in 1958-1964. Interestingly, they are a team formed by German immigrants, by Albert Ebert and Fritz Ermet. Sorry for any horrific pronunciation. It's like having a drink every time you have to say that. <laughs> we never seem to cover ourselves in yeah. glory. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Drink if we pronounce something badly. <laughs> yeah, so the second team um, of note, really, that popped up were, as Matt mentioned, obviously, Makibi Athletic Club. They um, were founded in... Well, they started playing competitively in 1971. They actually founded slightly before that, but they didn't play their first competitive fixture until then. But unfortunately, they only actually lasted 11 years. They dissolved in 1982. Although that was obviously quite a short period of time, they did actually manage to make seven finals in that time. And still came out with five trophies, which is very impressive. Yeah, it is really impressive. And like, my uh, main point of this would be that they have a really good badge. Like, it's a really cool badge. We will po- maybe post that on our Twitter. It certainly represents their like Israeli heritage, really. There, yes, it? it does. Yeah, and obviously that is at the point. It was. It did have a bit of Israeli heritage to the club. Um, so moving on, obviously only after the short tenure of Maccabi Los Angeles, would the next club that sort of popped up was the Orange County Soccer Club. They again made two finals of the National Challenge Cup and were famous for actually playing Bayern Munich you know, back in 1966, which was sort of first, one of the first big European versus US like club games. But the first club that's worth talking about probably really is the Los Angeles Aztecs, who had some quite renowned players play for them at the time. Yeah, absolutely. So they are part of the North American Soccer League, which is sort of the first big professional American league that popped up, featuring teams such as the New York Cosmos, which obviously had Pele play for them, and obviously featuring... So this sort of the grainy American footage of Pele play would have been against these kind of teams. It sort of was the first the first attempt at football breaking America. Obviously, it didn't quite end up going brilliantly. So yeah, so the club was actually only around for eight years, but they had a pretty, a pretty like busy eight years. They... Only they won one championship and made another final. The most important, well, the most not- notable thing about them is they were the first sort of team that had like significant European imports, if you will. They actually had George Best, uh, who was their player of the year for two years. They had Johan Cruyff, who was the replacement to George Best, uh, which is you know not a bad replacement, even if they were towards the end of their careers. Not only did they um obviously like you mentioned obviously they had they started to obviously get some some really like interesting and developed players in, but they also managed to start like attracting some decent managerial um staffing as well. So in their time, the coach who actually brought in Johan Cruyff was Renus Michaels, who was obviously the um where he managed Barcelona, Ajax, Holland. Obviously had a very successful career right up to the mid nineties when I think he actually retired from football. But not only that, but they also, um, for a brief period of time at least, were owned by Sir Elton John, who obviously is also in his time owned Watford. 
So certainly did, um, although only being around for a short period, they certainly did start to attract they, some They names. weren't obviously famous on the same scale of as the New York Cosmos, but they are quite a significant team in you know the law of football in Los Angeles, even though they did, yeah, like many of the teams before before them did dissolve only, uh, only eight years after formation back in December 1981. So after the Los Angeles Aztecs, the California Sunshine came along, yeah, so it was actually um so on their surface they're actually quite a they're not really the most notable team. They haven't really got the richest of football history, but they are well, they certainly caught my eye for one reason. So just to give you a brief overlay. Um the California Sunshine obviously well they're based in obviously Orange County, um, in Los Angeles, and they play in the ASL, so the American Soccer League, similar to obviously like the Aztecs and the Cosmos, but on a much smaller scale. But the reason they certainly caught my eye was so they were founded with two major philosophies. One of their philosophies was to field as many American players as possible. So they were really looking to try and build American youth and really try and have football take over in a way that hadn't quite in that time, which I think we can all agree is a very good thing. But the second one's the strange one, really. So bearing in mind this is their one of their two main philosophies, which they really wanted to get across, it was to try and keep profanity off the playing field. Is that like the five-a-side league we used to play in that used to give you a penalty if you swore? Yes, essentially they were really trying to <laughs> yeah. they were trying to embrace that element and obviously thought, yep, yeah, you know, we're going to try and bring through this next great crop of American players. We're going to try and oh, we're going to really try and take over Europe and take over the world. Sorry, but not only that, we're not going to swear whilst we're doing it, which I think is a a very a very nice little touch to their brief history. Nah, it's not as awful. No, swear. Swearing's good. Well, it's, well, we're not allowed to do it. They can't be allowed to do it. Unless yeah, unless <laughs> it's on this podcast, because we'll we lose our thingy. But in, the end, in the end, they lost out, unfortunately, in that, that instance. But yeah, the only thing I'd say is California Sunshine sounds like a brand of orange juice. It really does. Okay, so let's move on. We're now into the MLS era. And obviously, uh, first LA team from MLS was LA Galaxy, who we'll come back to. So now we'll talk about the Chivas USA, who uh, a team formed in 2004. Yeah, so this is... A really interesting team. It's obviously with more modern like reporting and stuff, and obviously the increased popularity by this time, we do actually have you know, a bit more information on them. It was interesting in the fact that they're actually a sub club or like a branch club of Chivas in Mexico. So they sort of yeah, Chivas de Guadalajara. It was effectively the same team that was. A, it was sort of this US spin-off from the same owner. Yeah, much like RB Leipzig, RB Salzburg. Currently, I suppose. Obviously, they're not directly related, but they are related. Yeah, I think that sort of thing is more common in the US anyway, isn't it? Obviously, RB Leipzig is sort of they're known for that in Europe because it's not very common in Europe. But I think in the US, that sort of thing is quite commonplace. Yeah, it's, yeah, absolutely. Like in North America, it does. Yeah, it happens more. I've got an interesting fact for this uh, team, if you guys want it, which is they are currently the most, they're the most recent uh, professional sports team in North America to fold. So, yeah, only three teams have folded in the MLS. Yeah, which is, I think, it's quite, it's quite surprising to me. Like, yeah, you, like you mentioned, obviously, with their like with America's franchising history, you would have thought that certainly would have been a much higher number of late, just because obviously new teams would be like popping up, like, new expansion teams or whatever. But I guess they're trying to keep what they have and add to it. What's so with Chivas? They obviously uh, stadium shared with LA Galaxy, um, which is not what I don't think Galaxy fans are particularly happy about it. Also, they weren't particularly well supported because LA's uh, Hispanic population weren't really didn't really buy. Yeah, uh, nearly fifty yeah. percent of the of their population is of Hispanic descent. So yeah, that's obviously why they chose there to launch. Yeah, that they did, and I was. Yeah, it's surprising, but 
listening to a episode of At the Match with Andy Brassel, which we have to sort of mention as part of our research. Um, he, he was talking to Hispanic fans of LAFC, and they were saying that they never, these Hispanic community never really bought into Chivas USA, and they um preferred to concentrate on either the Galaxy or into just into European football. I guess in that sense, it's probably, it was almost, like with it obviously being the subsidiary obviously of the Mexican team, it was almost probably, they probably quite a lot of people probably felt like it was being forced on their throats a bit because it was such a, it was such a blatant attempt to try and obviously tap into that market. And you can obviously, you can understand that for a reason, obviously with the, with the same owner and obviously seeing that potential. But I guess a lot of people were probably put off by that. Also, that's entirely fair. I think, they, I think it was reasonably well followed. They did have a lot of like fan groups and that sort of thing. But yeah, the, and then and then coming out really did make this um, make the city a two club, a two team city along the galaxy. So that was a genuine. That so did sort of make that generally sort of generally. Yeah, dark. I do think that is important as well. Um, yeah, you are right. So their nickname, however, obviously. Oh, yeah, I know where you're going with this. <laughs> yeah, and to be fair, their nickname is for a completely different reason. But their nickname was I'm not going to attempt to say it in Mexican because I will completely butcher that. But translated into English, it was um, the goats. Which, yeah, that's a very different meaning in 2020 be because it's a <laughs> and yes, very much and although that was obviously goats. meant to be because it was a um, on, like as as history has proven, unfortunately, only lasting 16 years. But um, so obviously it was seen as obviously being quite a tough and resilient a- animal, which is obviously I fully understand and fully appreciate. But obviously nowadays that tends to, in sporting terms, at least give off a slightly different meaning. Didn't really attract some of the um, the notable players on the scale that uh, LA Galaxy did. They did have obviously former US and that international such as Brad Guzan, and obviously who we know from the Premier League. They did also um, in one of their arguably one of their most former players, m- not necessarily for what he did in his playing career, but what he's now starting to do in his managerial career was uh, Jesse Marsh, who is obviously the current Red Bull Salzburg um, manager and obviously soon to be most likely. Um, Borussia Dortmund manager probably at the end of the season just due to the success that he's having. So I think that could be certainly one where, although he didn't really make it as a player, his um his reputation will yeah, certainly live on. And their football. most successful season, Shivas, when they reached the MLS playoffs was when they managed by Bob Bradley, who went on to then manage in Swansea and then subsequently the relaunch of LAFC, who will come on to. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, it was quite a surprise for them to qualify. They um, They never really had successful seasons they were definitely obviously the weaker team in the city although it was lovely to see a bit of Juan Pablo Angel in the twilight of his career back in 2012 who was a top scorer in the whole season with five goals which sort of says everything you need to know about there that sort of yeah. sums it up unfortunately I think towards the end of their um end of their time um yeah they were never overly you know obviously other than reaching the playoffs um in 2010 they were not massively uh successful but like Sam said they weren't it's not like they didn't have any fans here. they were quite well supported and I do think what is important to point out that the kits were unlike anything else seen in the MLS they were properly properly like you'd see in Mexico or even in mainland Europe there's properly like outlet kits and I think that some of the most beautiful kits around them may have to purchase one. Just before we move on from Chivas I just want to give a shout out to a well, it was a man who played for him for a time, but also um, managed him. So that's Thomas Rogan, who is a Dutch-American football coach. Now, his time, um, he managed obviously managed a number of teams in American soccer, and he played for a number. But his, what he's really most notable for, at least for myself, is his time when he was manager of America Samoa in 2011. And that might seem like a bit of a weird one, but um, this... So obviously, American Samoa are obviously a very small footballing nation. They obviously have the the giant monkey on their back of being having the heaviest ever international defeat to 
um, Australia, where they lost 31-0. So in their time to attempt to qualify for the 2014 World Cup in Brazil, which unfortunately, as we know, we, they, they didn't make, they reached out to the American Football Federation, who they obviously are linked with, and asked for help. Now, the American Football Federation sent them Thomas Rogan, and their journey together and their attempts to try and make the qualifying and obviously ultimately make the World Cup, which they just missed out on reaching the the big qualifying rounds, if you will, was actually recorded in the documentary Next Goal Wins. Now, this documentary is on Amazon Prime Video, and if anyone has access to access to it, I would highly recommend they check it out because it is absolutely it's an absolutely wonderful documentary, and it's just it really hits home the emotion of what this American Samoa team went through in that heavy defeat to Australia. Pretty good. I'm going to watch that later. Um, on David Beckham's soccer, one of the challenges was to be American Samoa against Australia and come back against that deficit. <laughs> I'm not. That's sick. I love that. The I'll just give you a little little spoiler into it. It's really horrible. So the the keeper for American Samoa, uh, he actually came out of retirement at this Thomas Rogan's guy's request. But for a brief period of time, he would every night play American Samoa against Australia on the easiest level and just absolutely batter them because he was so like he admits he's so like emotionally broken by that because he's just like because obviously American Samoa obviously aren't like. They're not a real team, are they? Like, so he just he lives in Seattle, and he just goes about his life. And every, every day, everyone's like, "Oh, did you let in thirty-one goals?" He's like, "Yep." Cheers, guys. It's so, it's such a good documentary. But it's really, really like it's pretty sad at times. I'm literally going to put that on like my interpreter. All right, it's interesting. Yeah, so we'll move on now to talk about LA Galaxy, who obviously the biggest team in LA and probably the biggest football club in America, definitely in the MLS. Yeah, definitely in the MLS, and arguably in North America, but. Yeah, I'd say you put them up there. Like they're up there with obviously like the like New York Red Bulls and DC United. They're certainly the um certainly more recognisable to a lot of obviously like European European watchers of the game. Oh, absolutely! Just by the sheer that they of the number of big names they've had to play for. Oh, definitely. I mean, the list of um list of famous players they've had, which I'm sure we'll get onto, is, is absolutely it's like an endless reel of like who's who almost. Yeah, I guess you could say they're sort of like almost the Real Madrid of the MLS. I'm not saying that because they're kitless quite similar, but in terms of they sort of they sort of scoop up the bigger names. They know. do feel that, yeah. There, there, there's, there's, yeah, definitely similarities between the two clubs, and um, yeah, they've obviously been really successful as well. They, um, they actually have won the Concacaf Champions League, which is obviously the North American version of the Champions League, which is very impressive. I think Mexico win it pretty much every time. Yeah, so winning the Concacaf Champions League, which is obviously huge, and the they were the only American club to do so so far. They obviously have yeah quite noticeable success in the MLS, which is obviously what you'd expect from a team that employs usually one, two or three superstars at once. Uh, due to uh, salary cap issues, it's impossible to really have more than two or three proper stars at any one cl- club. As there is, uh, there's a marquee player sort of a marquee player rule in American football. You can only have, I believe, it's either two or three players, which could be on a certain higher salary than anyone else has. Everyone else has to be below a salary gap, which obviously stops clubs going out and getting get tons of like players from Europe. It makes really it really good. hard when you're playing on Football Manager <laughs> and you. It makes it impossible a Football Manager. <laughs> and say, for example, just say, for example, would I mean, let's not read too much into this, but say you're managing Dinamo Zagreb and then you get a nice job offer from a big MLS team. It makes it so hard to try and manage your squad and work out what the hell you're actually allowed to buy. Just not speaking from personal experience at Sounds all. Sounds completely unrelated to anything you've ever done. No, we all knew you'd never take an MLS job. 
you go to like so- you go to sauce your dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's far too mainstream for me. You mentioned Sam. You, Sam, you said earlier, obviously, how they're obviously um, a bit like the Real Madrid Galacticos model, if you will, and there's quite a bit of an interesting one on that. So obviously, as I'm sure we'll get into in a lot more detail, they obviously did sign David Beckham from Real, Real Madrid, but once they'd signed Beckham, that's when they actually changed their team colours to play in the navy blue, gold, and white. Up till then, they'd worn they'd worn quite a lot of colours, really. They'd even turned out in orange for a few seasons. So I think maybe that um, that colour changed along with signing Beckham was almost a bit of a a bit of a rebrand for them to try and take that next step into the into I guess into the public eye. Yeah obviously they have got uh one of the most successful of actually American international football players of all time, Land Donovan. Yeah, he's probably it's probably one of the biggest Amer- American footballers to have played his career almost almost I know he had popular spells elsewhere, but almost entirely in America. I think he's probably yeah, I think he's the most successful I'd say. Yeah, absolutely. Like he, because we'd have we we're familiar with some names like sort of Brad Fiedel and Tim Howard, players who have come and played predominantly in Europe, but of players who Americans who played mostly in America, I guess he's probably the most famous. famous yeah, absolutely. Like obviously, he was a star internationally. He obviously, the fact that he's came over and played for Everton a couple of times obviously helps him sort of be noticed by English fans. But yeah, he yeah predominantly playing in America. He's from LA as well. He's um one of actually not many famous football players to come out of LA. Um, obviously hit him. And then um, another notable example would be Alex Morgan, who's obviously currently at Spurs, but um, has been obviously a superstar for the uh, women's national team for quite some time now. But yeah, so they've obviously had them, but obviously yeah, the real list is the, when you start listing off all the superstars that have played for them that have come over from, Europe, obviously Robbie Keane, Staten, Ibrahimovic, David Beckham, the obvious one. Giovanni De Santos has been there for ages. Obviously, that's not as noticeable as an example, but he has played. Yeah, Xavi Hernandez is there now, isn't yes, he? Yes, he is. Yeah, yeah. I think it used to be that sort of players would go there almost as a bit, almost a bit of a retirement home. They go there quite late on, but then that's coming less and less true, isn't it? Players are going there younger. I mean, it's, I know this last time was very old, but he was there, but he's now gone back to Europe. He's playing in Europe at a high. <laughs> he's still playing well, yeah. Yeah, still playing at a high level in Europe. I, but so you do still play, you'll see that a bit, a bit younger now. And, he, and when he, players are out of contract, you do sometimes hear them linked with MLS clubs in a way that you never used to. Absolutely not. We had only this year that obviously um, Blaise Matuidi obviously signed for Inter Miami. And he's arguably, you could say, still got some two or three prime years left. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I was quite, I remember being quite surprised at that move because I thought that Matuidi had a lot of, is a very high, a very high level player, a lot of good well, years I thought, there. yeah, Higuain was um, obviously surprising to go over to America as well. But um, I sort of wanted to to talk about some of the notable points in LA Galaxy history. Obviously, you'd think when they won the CONCACAF Champions League, it would have been with Beckham. But actually, that was back in 2000. It was actually quite early on in their uh, in their early years. And they've actually obviously not gone that far since. They've got to do as far as the semi-finals once. But other than that, they've really not uh, replicated that kind of su- success. Um, and they did... Um, Obviously, win the MLS Cup before Beckham as well. The first MLS Cup came in two thousand two. They are the they were the first American team to five MLS Cups. Obviously, so which does feed into the fact that they are one of the most successful American professional teams. But they actually got the wooden spoon, which is obviously the worst record back in the twenty sixteen series, the season fifteen sixteen, which is at the end of the Beckham the Beckham era ended back in twenty twelve, and then they did. Yeah, they did actually have a sort of a lull, and they're currently obviously on their way back up. But 
So it, it obviously has been quite mixed fortunes throughout the club's career, and I think they are they are a bit of a roller coaster to support by all by all accounts. So when they obviously you mentioned obviously there how they had the um the wooden spoon obviously it was, like you said obviously for the worst record it's quite um in a way it's quite a shame really for that happening in 2016 because that was actually was actually Landon Donovan's last year with the club. He'd um he'd come back for that season to play obviously one final time and obviously it's a bit of a shame that that's obviously how his how his time ended there. Was that when Gerard was there as uh, well? Yes, it was actually. Um, he was there alongside Robbie Keane at the time as well. It, unfortunately, it was his last um last season with the club as well. I remember watching a couple of the games because obviously it's a lot more televised now. When Gerard was over there, I think they were a pretty rubbish team, and obviously they were. I think they are more on the up now. Um, hopefully, you know, hopefully with the team they've got at the moment, it is a bit younger. They have some really interesting players. Obviously, we've mentioned Javier Hernandez. Uh, we've got Jonathan De Santos. We've got yeah, Pavon. Questing Pavon for uh, Argentina. He's quite an interesting player. Yeah, he's great. He's great player. Like I know he's only on loan from Boca, but like that. Week... Yeah, I think I'm. I think I think I definitely remember watching him in the World Cup. I think he looks all right. He's still quite young as well, early twenties. Yeah, he's a, yeah, excellent player. Um, that's the kind of players that the MLS is starting to um, appeal to now. Like, so you'll get like Mexican players and like other North American players, even South American players, go over to play in the US first before moving to Europe, or even you know instead of moving to Europe and playing in sort of some of the smaller European leagues. Is you know it's testament to how the and one of the things that's giving the Galaxy motivation to improve themselves is they now have a proper rival in the newly launched LAFC Los Angeles Football Club, which launched in 2018. You get like we mentioned earlier, sort of out of the ashes of Chivas, they took their obviously not entirely related, but they took their franchise as another team as the other Californians. Yeah, this is um really interesting because um despite being quite a new team, they are already significantly well reported uh re- re- supported sorry and they um obviously just they also have some of the best kits in world football i know we do like to talk about kits on here yeah their launch seems to they've done this is really well haven't they yeah like they've i think they've almost tried to sort of model their team almost sort of a european team obviously it's called lafc like is it which is almost a very sort of British way to name your team. They've got a new stadium. The stadium looks quite, it's a modern, it looks almost, it's not huge in the way that a lot of American stadiums are. It's quite compact city centre stadium. Again, that's sort of quite European. Yeah, absolutely. They won their conference um, in 2019 in only their second season, having finished third the year before. They got to the final of the playoffs in 2019 as well. Um, so they are, you know, already a, uh, Pretty significant, you know, pretty successful team. They've sort of gone straight into it, um, especially with the help of Carlos Vela, who's obviously been there both years and has been an absolute superstar for them. Yeah, so Vela, obviously, um, he actually in the 2019 season, he actually, obviously, won the Golden Boot. But he also won the what is now called the Landon Donovan MVP Award. So obviously that just shows the obviously impact that Donovan's had on MLS football. But um, you mentioned obviously how they've, um, they certainly really are seem to be taking it by storm. They're actually currently managed by Bob Bradley, who is obviously, as mentioned, Swansea and Chivas fame. And in their first season, they actually got the best regular record for a expansion team earning 57 points. And that was actually beating out Chicago's Fires record of 56 points in 1998, which was also at the time managed by Bob Bradley. So Bradley seems to have um he beat, seems to have built himself a bit of a specialty for that. Sort I think of thing. Bob Bradley was sort of unfairly treated whilst he was at Swansea. He was sort of like taking the mick out of a bit, wasn't he? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, in that regard, I'm not talking about I'm not saying let's segregate to how his performance of football, but yeah, in that regard of sort of yeah being sort of not taken seriously as a manager just because he was American. It's also quite underreported how 
obviously Swansea at the time would go. That was when Swansea were in the mix of going through their transition of being an entirely fan-ran club to a part of their fan state getting bought out by some American owners who obviously the the supporters weren't really sure and were a bit dubious of. So the club, to be fair, was probably in its worst state for a long time. So I think he, he didn't really necessarily have the help that he needed to try. Yeah, and, and he, well, he spent half his time in press conferences having to sort of defend the way he spoke. Well, obviously, obviously, we are all British, but the way British treat, obviously, like American yeah, sports in general, like, is with a bit of derision, um, like especially like, I think especially especially football and MLS, it's like British. I think British they're a bit sort of gatekeepery about about football. It's like, oh, this is our game, but we th- this is, oh, this is our game. It's the best game in the world. Blah blah blah. But your and your 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 American sports are rubbish. But then when they do get into it, it's like, oh no, you're not allowed to like that now. It's like the cool kid at school who's has his band that he likes. He goes, oh yeah, this is my this is the best band ever. But then if you start listening to it, it's like, oh, you're not allowed to listen to that. It's my band. But yeah, they are sort of weirdly gatekeeper about it. Yeah, it's weird. I, and I watch, I wouldn't say I watch a significant amount of MLS, but I watch it. And it's like, no, watch worse than watching like a mid tier European league. Like, you watch it, watch like, watch it and watch an Eredivisie game. You think, yeah, there's not much in this. Like, you can definitely notice the difference now from even just from like 10 years ago of just how much faster it is and how much the, the tempo of the games that are played are just so, at such higher pace that you can definitely notice that it's, um, it's really starting to come on a lot, long way in its quality, and it's. I would say, like like you've mentioned, but I think it's starting to take over quite a lot of European leagues. Yeah, absolutely, and obviously, uh, it's always worth giving out a shout out to Bradley Wright Phillips. Obviously, the uh, currently at LAFC, but obviously one of the um, top scorers in, in American football, American soccer history, if you will. Um, so he obviously did most of his work at the New York Red Bulls, but he's now now at LAFC as well. See, I'm amazed that he's still going because I remember him when, obviously, obviously being Sean McFoot's brother, but when he was um, a youngster playing for Cholton. I swear that was back in, like, 2004. Yeah, he does feel like he's been about for ages, doesn't he? Did he ever spell it Plymouth? Yes, yeah, he just never seems to um, he just never seems to go away. But, yeah, definitely fair play to him for keep going, and he's got such an amazing record out there. Yeah, I think it's interesting him as well because he's, like, he's sort of a English player that's broke... America, which is like usually like you expect it, like obviously American players coming over, and we've had American players be successful. Like Christian Pulisic at the moment is obviously being extremely successful at Chelsea, and obviously commanded big fees, played for by uh, for Borussia Dortmund as well, and obviously it's sort of seen as the shining light. But you don't often see an English player, not a famous English player at their peak, but obviously more younger English player, sort of in the middle of their career, going out to America and sort of you know playing there for the rest of his career and actually sort of making a big name for themselves and he's been brilliant like he left he left England in, back in 2013 um, leaving Charlton um, obviously to play for the New York Red Bulls and he scored 108 times in 195 games for the Red Bulls he's got 18-18 for LAFC probably our most successful export to America when obviously you think about Beckham you think about Gerrard you think about all those guys but in terms of the actual success rate, it's definitely... In terms of success, yeah, not just the big names. I know what you mean. You could argue, to be fair, up till... Obviously, I know things are changing in the past few years, which obviously, like with likes of obviously, like Sancho and players such as that, which obviously amazing and what we all want to see. But you could argue up to like 
four years ago. He was probably England's most successful export to any footballing league. Yeah, there was a massive period. I'm I'm really happy it started happening again recently. But like up until yeah, like you said, last three or four years, like English players didn't play outside of England. Like so, let's just get this back onto the clubs. I think the main difference between LA Galaxy and LAFC is sort of so Galaxy's location on the outskirts also makes it more appealing to people living in the suburbs and it's sort of brighter color scheme and mascot they're sort of targeting more families and casual fans whereas lafc are trying to sort of embed themselves as a sort of community club so their new stadium is down in downtown la and like we're saying earlier about how their name and their stadium is sort of a bit more european they're sort of trying to be a bit more sort of pure football and this is and yeah they have sort of they have a lot of dedicated fan groups already and it's definitely working because their season tickets are all sold out Oh, no, no, it's okay. All I was going to say is, if you mentioned their um, that they do amazing work with the fans, and what I do really like, so obviously their um, their main supporters group, if you will, are known as the Free Two Five Two, and that's a so it's a reference. It's got a double meaning. It's a reference to the amount of safe standing seats they have in their supporters section of their new stadium, but also um adds up to obviously the number twelve, and obviously that's because the the club themselves put a really a really big influence on the um the fans being the twelfth man. So they really try and like. Have that community feel together. Yeah, it's really like it is. It seems like a really good club to support. Like, um, they have, yeah, and they have this this time. Like when, whereas Chivas USA may not have captured like the hearts of all the um the Hispanic fans. Obviously, the um they do support the um Galaxy as well. They have really sort of caught the hearts of um you know Hispanic fans all across California as well as I. I know, you know, American fans that travel two, three hours to games, which is not something you would expect of, you know, American fans of football. Um, it's sort of, yeah, they've really captured the hearts and the imaginations of teams. I wouldn't be surprised if they were, um, you know, a really successful team down the line. Um, yeah, one of the ways they're looking to attract newer, younger fans is they've signed an exclusive uh, deal with YouTube to be the exclusive carrier of their games, as the only MLS team to do that. Now, that's actually quite progressive because the future for all sports broadcasting really will end up online. So that seems like they quite a good They are clearly very well run. Um, and obviously, they also have um, something called the Falcon program, which I think is interesting. Um, basically, it's a Falcon. Obviously, it's actual Falcons, sort of like, which is sort of a European thing as well, having birds fly around the stadium. Um, and they do have like, honorary Falconers, so people that release the Falcons. And obviously, they have celebrities and stuff which can sort of lend into the celebrity culture of LA. Um, the first person to do it was uh, Will Farrell, who is actually a co-owner of the club. Um, but yeah, the, Fal- and the Falcons are interestingly named after famous streets in LA. So after Olvera Street, Figueroa Street and Melrose Avenue, they're called Ollie, Fig and Mel. I saw the Figaro handball that held the halfway line for Wigan Athletic in 2012. So... I think it's a different Figaro now. <laughs> 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 just to, just because every every episode we somehow managed to drag it back to week in the 2012. <laughs> I don't know how. <laughs> it's where we're best. Obviously, at. I just thought we'd probably worth talking about. Obviously, the derby at the moment, which is sort of you know lovingly known as El Trafico. Um, which oh, is, that's getting mentioned. Yes, we have to mention that at some point. Yes, yeah, I'm glad you brought that. Which up. Is also, it's a great name for a derby. That's, I, I love that. It's great. It's a great play on words. Named obviously for the um, for famously terrible traffic, the congestions. Yeah, yeah. it's great. Um, yeah, it's um, it's been fairly even so far from, um, which is obviously which it obviously always helps. The top goal scorer in El Trafico is obviously Carlos Vela, who seems to score an almost infinite number of goals. Um, 
But it's yeah, currently it's um four, three and one in the regular season, but which is to the galaxy. So four wins, three draws, one win. But when you look at the playoffs and the tournaments, they um both LAFC wins. So it is yeah, it's four four wins to galaxy at the moment, three draws and three. So what we're saying about Galaxy sort of being the Real Madrid is it would it be too much of an exaggeration to say that in comparison, LA Galaxy and the it Barcelona feels sort of that way, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't mind the comparison. I would never label a team with the um with the Barcelona mold. I think that's a bit harsh, on them, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, at the moment it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah at the moment, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we leave that on there for the MLS teams and the men's teams. Now there isn't currently a women's team in the NSWL and WSL. Sorry in LA, but there's going to be a new franchise next year. Yeah, absolutely. So this surprised me really because obviously football, women's football is huge in America. Obviously the national team is massively successful, but surprisingly there wasn't actually yeah, a professional team in LA, but there is a new team coming, like Sam said, next year. It's going to be called Angel City. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to see what the hell I'm hoping they get some good players in. And... Yeah, I'm surprised they didn't have one already there because like we were saying about LA's football history. So that, that surprised me with the Fabio style. Yeah, it, it did. They caught me off guard. I assumed, like, I went doing our research for this one. I thought I'd just, you know, get a bit up on the women's football team and we could talk about them. But yeah, there isn't one yet. Um, and yeah, it seems well overdue. And yeah, looking forward to seeing what happens. Okay, so just before we go, we don't do a who are you on the football cities of the world, but we'll try and do some sort of game. I think Matt's got something in mind. Yeah, so we've spoken about one of the golden boot winners for the MLS. So I propose basically a game of who can name the most golden boot winners. So if you two can take it in turns naming golden boot winners, the first one to get one incorrect is the loser. Okay. Uh... How confident are you with this, Sam? Not very at all. Uh, I'll let you go first then. So I'm going to get in there quickly with Landon Donovan. <laughs> nice, that is correct. Um, I'll go Vela. Carlos Vela, that is. Correct. Um, oh, by the way, you've both got... I'll give you both a life as well, just in case you can't. Oh, but, uh, uh, Robbie Keane? No, he's never won it. So it's your life. Oh. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's, an, that's an early way to use your life there. <laughs> Bradley Wright Phillips. Yes, has won it. Bradley Wright Phillips must have in his time yeah, at the Yeah, he's won it. He's won it three. Yeah. He's won it twice. Yeah, go on. No, I've got nothing. All right, so Sam's won the game, but can you... can I guess a couple? Yes, you can guess a couple more. Okay, well, Sebastian Giovanco won it for Toronto. Yes, at some that point, like fifteen or sixteen, yeah. I think. Fifteen. Yeah, that's right. And the one I was torn on would have been in the past couple years. And it was either the season when Zlatan was at Galaxy, because I know he holds their record for goals in a season. But I don't think he won it that year. I think it was Miguel Almiron's teammate, Joseph Martinez. Yes, very good. And I still can't think what that team was called. (laughs) Atlanta United, mate. Atlanta was it, because they absolutely dominated that season. Yeah, so you've named all the ones I would ever got as well. Mm. Um, yeah, I can't really think of many others. Diego Rossi is currently top scorer. Obviously, it's um not the gate. The season's not finished. Not quite. Yeah, not concluded. Recent ones you might have got is Nemanja Nikolic for Chicago Fire. I don't know who he is. No. Just if you go back to 1998, you could have had Stern John for the Columbus Crew. Oh, which I was just all about. Yes, that must have been um that must have been what got him his move to Europe. Love that. <laughs> Yeah, that is that is genuinely beautiful. Um, but other than that, yeah, there's there's no one else yet. So, but yeah, so Sam wins that game. Thank um, you. Sam Dennis, you should add. 
That's a very good yeah. point. Right, some yeah. Dennis wins that game. Um, it's why I use the host. I'm not very good at <laughs> these sort of things. Did you win the? Did I you did win, win the, the last um, one. So if we are going to do, if we are going to do a series of me against Dennis and these, I guess it is one-one. So I'll cling to that at least. It is one-one. Yeah, but other yeah. than that, that is, right. that's it for this week. So thank you very much for listening. We'll back next week with our show looking at Europe. But in the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at RavensFootballNW. But yeah, that's it. Thank you, Sam Dennis. Thank you very much. That was a lot of fun. And thank you, Matt Potter. Thank you very much. I'll see you next week. Cheers.